Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. And so our scripture reading for today comes from Luke chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 7 through 11. Just take your time, Dan. Take your time, man. (laughs) So in verse 7, it says, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited into a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. How are you? I want to pray uh, real quick, but I just remembered I was looking at um, some seats, and I was like, oh, we're missing our Young Life folks who are all at Young Life Camp. We have loads of folks in our church associated with Young Life and involved with Young Life, and they have a bunch of teenagers at a Young Life Camp this weekend, so I feel like they need our prayers. I don't know. I don't know if you've spent time with a bunch of teenagers, but uh, let's pray. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for the ministry of Young Life in our community, and I, I pray that your blessing over Sharp Chop Cove, that... Um, that for teenagers in our area across all of our schools, that they would be experiencing your um, presence and your just wild and relentless love in a way that they may never have before. And so we just uh, thank you for the courage of Young Life Leaders um, and the crazy of Young Life Leaders. Uh, I pray that you would be with us in this uh, next moment. I'm well in my head on this sermon, and so I just... Ask uh, for your spirit to uh, come and do what you do. Um, And so I just pray that in our next few minutes, would you fill us, uh, like we ask a lot, would you fill us with the courage uh, to look inside ourselves at places in us that you might want to uh, point out or offer some rescue or freedom or redemption? I think uh, more than anything else, I just believe that you want a greater freedom for us than we want for ourselves. And so we just pray in these minutes that we would wake up um, to what you're trying to do in our life and what you would like to speak to in us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, I think today is going to feel a little bit more like a class than, uh, than a sermon. I have a chart and everything. So I almost wore a blazer just to like... I don't know, make the whole thing work. But um, we are deep into the second part of our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, where we have been um, on purpose looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus as a whole person, uh, not just a spirit, like a whole person, like emotionally, spiritually, physically. 
Uh, all of these things. And so if you want to go back and listen, um, all of these sermons from this part, and then we did another part uh, in late winter, early spring-ish, those are all on our website. So you can get access to uh, any of those. Uh, But today, uh, for our sermon class, um, we are going to take a deep dive into humility, um, which is a wildly important part of emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, Not something I've been excited to talk about, though, if, if I'm honest, it has uh, wrecked me to study it, and so to talk about it, it feels a little tender and vulnerable. Um, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, psychological studies um, say that having a mindset of humility has um, a positive impact, not just on our interpersonal relationships. We can understand how humility might allow us to get along better with each other. Um, but psychologists say that it also has a very positive impact on our, our cognitive skills, our decision-making skills, um, I read an article in the New York Times this week that reported on uh, a research study done by psychologists that connected humility to the following things. Uh, Greater curiosity, uh, grit, I love that word, grit, um, uh, the ability to reflect on your own life in helpful ways. And then this was the biggest one. Um, Studies have shown that humble people are better learners and problem solvers and that humility is a more important predictor of performance than IQ. Is that not crazy? That as you, I don't know if you hire people, but if you hire people, that's wild that humility is a greater, uh, has greater impact on how someone will perform in their job or in their school than IQ would. Um, For centuries, humility has been a value of Christianity, a core value of Christianity, of of what it means to follow the way of Jesus. But I think if we honestly look at the church, like Big C Church today, I'm not sure many people outside of the church would look inside of the church and be wowed by our humility, right? We have a culture that celebrates and exalts in many ways uh, the opposite of humility, Uh, But as we saw in our scripture lesson today, uh, Jesus considered humility to be deeply valuable. Uh, So did have Christian thinkers. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, I love this, the only way to bear the heaviness of the weight of reality is with humility. And so I think it matters that we uh, evaluate ourselves and uh, encourage growth in ourselves in light of humility. I think this is what Jesus was getting at in our scripture uh, lesson today of how exaltation in the kingdom of God is always upside down. It's always opposite of what we think, and the way to that is humility. So um, what I want to do today is introduce you to a tool. Um, it's, one of, it's one of the things that I value most as a pastor is not just talking at you every single Sunday, but offering you actual tools that you might be able to use in your actual uh, life as you explore your own relationship with Jesus and your own spiritual and emotional growth. And so today we're going to use one of those tools. It's an adaptation of something called St. Benedict's Ladder of Humility. Taylor, if you want to throw it up there, you can. Um, This is a resource from the 11th century uh, from St. Benedict, who was the father of Western monasticism. So any of you considered becoming a monk, uh, he was your guy. Um, If not, you may not have uh, heard of him. But um, this ladder that we're going to use today has been adapted by Pete Scazzaro, who wrote the book that we've based this series on, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, And he took, you'll see, he took uh, St. Benedict's ladder and took it from 12 steps down to eight steps, which I'm grateful for. Because I I can't have any more than that. Um, Essentially what he did is he kind of brought it from the 11th century into the 21st century and and narrowed it down um, to eight. Um, So 
We're going to look at these eight steps today, um, but I want you to know um, that this is not like eight easy steps for humility. If you know me very well, you know that like I, I'm not the kind of person who's like three easy steps to change your marriage. Like nothing in my life has ever happened because of three easy steps. Like I don't know about you, but that is, I call baloney on that every single time. Um, a better way to market this would be uh, eight very freaking difficult and challenging steps that will help you wake up to the lack of humility in your life. So if you want to steal that slogan, I'm sure it'll go very well. I don't think eight hard steps is a super marketable slogan. Um, but here's the thing. They're not all going to resonate with you. We're going to kind of fly through them too. And, and they're not all going to land. Um, but my hope is that this morning that you would look at yourself and your own life in light of these steps and then just see what sticks. Uh, see maybe what feels like sandpaper to you. That's a good sign that the Holy Spirit's up to something. Um, so essentially we're just going to look at these things and say, where do I see this or not see this in my own life? Where am I actively practicing these things? Where am I not? So uh, we're going to start at the bottom uh, with step number one. The first step on St. Benedict's la uh, ladder of humility is this. It's the fear of God and mindfulness of him. That's where he says humility begins for the Christian. With the fear of God and mindfulness of him. Um, when I think about practicing this in my own life, I have to be super honest and say that I think the fear of God is one of the most confusing things talked about uh, in, in all of my Christian experience. I feel like I've always heard two things. I've heard God is loving and warm and he wants to be in relationship with me. And then I've heard, uh, but you better be afraid of him. And that's confusing. Anyone else? Am I alone in this? It's, it's kind of confusing. These things, they've always felt like contradictions to me. One feels like mercy and one feels like love and one feels like a threat, right? Um, uh, like Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I feel like my whole life people have been, just been trying to get me into the hands of a living God. And then Hebrews is like, it's a fearful thing. Another translation says, it's a terrible thing or a terrifying thing. And so it's like, what am I supposed to think about God? Or am I just supposed to be afraid of him? Is he warm? And so recently I took kind of a deep dive into the original language around uh, the fear of God. Um, and, and some of the verses in the Bible that talk about fearing God, like this one in Hebrews. And what I found is that uh, in the scriptures, when talking about the fear of God, the word fear that's used in the Greek is way more specific than just like fear or afraid or something like that. It implies the kind of fear that makes us want to withdraw or flee or run away. And here's why I think this matters. Because I think that when the Bible talks about fearing God, I think it is both an acknowledgement of God's power and at the same time an invitation to acknowledge um, that the presence of that kind of power does something in our guts. Something that makes us want to withdraw or makes us want to run away. Not because it's a threat, because it's so unbelievably uh, powerful. For so long, I, thought, I saw the fear of God as a threat of what God might do if I entered into his presence. And, and while I think God's presence is, is powerful and at times terrifying, I think the practice of learning how to fear God is, um, is something a little bit different. It's more of an acknowledgement of how I feel when I meet God. I want to run away. That doesn't mean he wants me to. 
I want to run away, and yet he accepts me right there. Humility, I think, honors the presence and power of God and honors the instinctual part of us that wants to run away uh, when we experience. It can um, hold the, humility can hold the warmth of God and uh, the wanting in us to hide at the same time. Uh, There's a a theologian named Howard Thurman that I am crazy about. He was Martin Luther King's mentor. And he has this phrase that he uses that I love. It's called unanimity within. Essentially, it's finding it like an internal congruence, an internal agreement, the ability to hold two things at the same time. And I think that that's what we're getting at here in this step, that God is good and powerful and present everywhere. And that makes me want to run away. And I'm still wanted. And I'm still desired, and I still get to uh, connect in those things. And so I think this step in humility, this acknowledgement that I am safe and welcome in God's presence, even though my guts uh, want to flee, um, I think this step in humility opens us up to this like reorienting uh, awareness of God's presence everywhere, all over our world. I'm going to end this microphone's life, sorry. Um, All over our world. Uh, Howard Thurman goes so far as to say that our pride can only be destroyed when it is exposed to the overwhelming love and grace of God. Uh, And so humility means finding a continual mindfulness uh, for that love and that grace. It's kind of like what we sang today. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want Part of humility is learning that mindfulness to taste the goodness of God, not just in quiet times or on Sunday services or when your car radio comes on and it accidentally plays worship music, uh, but intentionally cultivating a mindfulness and an awareness around God. Okay, that's step number one. Uh, Step number two uh, is this, uh, doing God's will, not our own or other people's. Okay, so in order to talk about doing God's will, not our own and other people's, we have to acknowledge three things, I think. The first is that God has a will. God has things that he wants to happen, right? The second is so do we. And the third is, unfortunately, so do other people. That gets in my way a lot. Um, So this step, it comes with this um, presumption that these three things aren't always the same thing. That God's will, our will, and the will of other people might not always magically uh, align. Um, Here's the truth. This will shock all of you. I am very stubborn and strong-willed. I don't know how you become a girl preacher without being very stubborn and strong-willed in the South. Um, uh, but I am. I'm very struggled and, 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 and strong-willed, and so I really wish this wasn't true, but I love you enough to be really honest with you um, and tell you this. Uh, spiritual transformation, if that's what we're looking for, uh, if we are looking to be practitioners of the way of Jesus, uh, apprentices to Jesus, spiritual transformation requires a surrender of our self-will to God's will. It just does. Uh, culturally, that is terribly unpopular. And trust me, I would much rather side with culture on this. It's far more convenient for me. God has asked me to do crazy things. But uh, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet, he says this haunting thing. It's haunted me for as long as I've heard it. He says, the way of man is not in himself. And when I look at my life and I look at the world around me, I, I just think this is true. In my life, the most healing and free steps have not been directed by me. Uh, but they've come through the humility of waking up to the direction and the will of the one who made me and loves me and is ever with me and for my flourishing. Uh, 
So here's the truth of Jesus. To the best I know it, true spirituality means giving up our lives for Jesus. Jesus says it in uh, Matthew 16, to save your life, you must lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. Or in another translation, he says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find me. To find him requires a loss of some things in us. If Jesus is the treasure, then this act of submission to the will of the Father makes so much sense. And if he isn't, it sounds bonkers. Right? Okay. Step number three. Back to St. Benedict. Step number three. uh, Willing to subject ourselves to the direction of others. Uh, This kind of seems opposite to step two, doesn't it? If we're like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do the will of other people. Um, But the crucial word and the difference in step two and three is this word direction. Uh, In the path of humility, there is a willing subjectivity, not to the will of other people, um, but to the direction of them within wisdom, allowing voices uh, to help us direct our lives, practicing the wisdom of, of selecting wise people to offer advice to us or acknowledging that there are people in authority in our lives. And when your boss says, be there at eight, you're supposed to be there at eight, um, uh, so that, that's kind of the crucial word. A mark of humility in us comes from uh, the level and wisdom with which we submit to the direction of other people in our lives. So I said number two was difficult for me. Um, I hate number three. I hate the step on the ladder. It's the worst. Again, I'm stubborn and strong-willed. If you need examples of my strong-willedness, please see my mother after service. She will gladly give you plenty. But it's not just me. It's kind of anti-American, right? Like we are not a country good at following directions directions or arguably giving directions. Look at masks and quarantines and vaccines. That's not a political statement about them. That's just like, we're a mess. We're just a big mess. But humility owns that, um, that there is freedom to be had in, with wisdom, allowing voices in our lives and voices into our practices and voices into our decisions. Uh, here's an example. The other day I was meeting with Johnny, who's not here. He's at Young Life Camp. Um, but Johnny's our, our uh, executive pastor at the Vineyard. He is one of my closest friends, but he's also my boss. Uh, he is my direct report, and so that gets fun uh, sometimes. But here's the thing. I love and I trust him, and so I'm in this conversation with him where I have, I have this relational problem going on in my life that I can't fix. Like, I keep trying, and no matter what I do, I cannot make uh, this problem go away. And, um, and so I'm sitting there meeting with him and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, ask him how you're contributing to the destruction of that relationship. And because I was writing this sermon today, I did. Um, no, I probably would have anyway, <laughs> but, um, but I did. I, I asked him and Johnny, and, 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 and so I asked him and Johnny said, um, I don't think it's because you haven't been honest or brave. That was my thought. I just thought I needed to be more honest and a little braver in some of the things I was saying. He said, no, I've seen you do that. You've done really well at that. I think you're just holding a grudge and here's how you're holding a grudge which did not feel good to hear and I but I don't know what to tell you it was truly kind and truly loving and it was direction without orders right Uh, when we consider whose voices to subject ourselves uh, to there is wisdom in choosing someone who loves you enough to celebrate uh, what you do well and where they see fruit in your life and who loves you enough, uh, who longs for your freedom enough to be honest with you and say, I think you should check out whether you're holding a grudge here and here's how I think it's destroying you and chaining you up. Another distinctive, Johnny, he didn't make me submit to his will. 
Uh, this is manipulation versus like good counsel in our lives. A manipulator will require you to submit to their will. Good, wise counsel in your life will, uh, does not do that. John did not offer me like a step-by-step assignment on how to repair this relationship and make me sign a paper saying I would do it. What he did is he was honest with me and then he allowed room for my imagination. He trusted me uh, with the work. For me, he allowed room for me to get curious about the direction uh, he was pointing me in. Do I have a grudge here? And then get curious about what Jesus might be doing uh, in me. Spiritually speaking, there is wisdom in the humility uh, to follow the directions of wise people in your life who you see are practicing the mindfulness and fear of God and who are submitting to the will and the mercy of God in their own lives. Okay, number four, I promise these get shorter as the sermon uh, goes on. Don't get too worried. Number four, uh, patient to accept the difficulties of others. I said they got shorter. I did not say they got easier. (laughs) Patience to accept the difficulties of others. Uh, There are so many good definitions of humility in the world. You probably have one you love. I like the one that says humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Have you heard that? Um, But I have a favorite definition of humility. And my hope is if you hear anything else from me ever that you get. No, no, no. My first thing is if you hear anything else from me ever that you understand that I think the kingdom of God is real and active and that you have a creative role in it. But the second thing I hope that you get is this definition of humility. It's from a New Testament theologian named Hans Beyer. And he defines humility as allowing others. Humility, that's it. That's the whole definition. (laughs) allowing others. What's humility? It's allowing others. It's making room for others to shine and others to fail and others to hope and dream and worry and wonder. It's allowing others. It is a hospitality of spirit toward the existence of so many things outside of just your own self. And part of the journey toward that kind of humility is learning not just how to make room for the successes of other people, but how to make room for their difficulties too. And sometimes I think making room for difficulties is a lot more challenging than making room uh, for success. Even though sometimes I really want the success other people have, that makes it tricky. But the difficulties is a whole other ballgame because people are really difficult. Have you noticed? In your own life, they're so difficult. Rarely are people ever packaged nicely or not messy or with problems that could be solved quickly. That's my preference. Nobody has those. Um, people, they struggle. They struggle with themselves and others. They struggle with hope and money and time and kindness. They struggle with addiction and fidelity and loyalty and belief. With They sometimes struggle with tasks that you think are so simple and they, they can't do them. They struggle with tasks that are really complex. They marry the wrong people. They buy the wrong cars. They spend their money horribly. Um, they, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just saw something I wrote. They, um, <laughs> they make truly stupid decisions, and then they compensate those truly stupid decisions with even worse decisions. This is what uh, people do. I could keep going. People are so so difficult. They get our names wrong. They get our orders wrong at restaurants. They're difficult. And their lives are full of difficulties. And patience with this, I think, can only come through humility. It's Uh, And so when I'm brave, what I see is that my impatience with the difficulties of others doesn't have a lot to say to me about them. And it has a whole lot uh, to say to me about exposing the lack of humility in me. I think when you find yourself impatient with the difficulties of others, that's a good sign that the Spirit's trying to do some work in you 
on humility. Sorry, your day is, you're going to go, no one's getting anyone's restaurant order today right. (laughs) Because we talked about this. So, Um, okay, number five. Uh, Radical honesty to others and about our weaknesses or faults. Radical honesty to others about our weaknesses or faults. Um, A few years ago, I had this moment, I was driving on Hunt Road, and uh, I had this very wild experience in the car that I only know to attribute to the Holy Spirit, uh, where I end up having to pull my car over on the side of the road because the presence of God is so strong in my car. Some of you think this sounds nuts, and some of you are like, yes, I've been there. Um, So I'm on the side of the road. It's just the presence of God in my car. It sounds bananas, but um, I hear the voice of God so clear in my spirit say, uh, everyone is one terrible decision away from blowing up their lives. And I'm like, yes, God, they are. Everybody, those poor people that I take care of are one bad decision away from blowing up their whole lives. And they don't even know it, God. Like, they don't even know it. And then I felt the Lord very gently, but clearly clarified to me, no, 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 you, Lindsay, are one bad decision away from blowing up your entire life. And I felt like a wave capsized me. Um, It was like this wave of honest realization that, um, uh, of how close I am to bringing about massive destruction in my life. Not small destruction, massive. I could take a few wrong steps, or I could make a few bad decisions, or I could hide a few more secrets, and 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 I could so those things could truly blow up so much of my life for me. Uh, It could blow up my family, this church, my friendships, and it felt like God in His mercy showed me how truly capable I am to do some pretty truly and destructive. Uh, things. Uh, there was no room in this car made by God for me to be like, yeah, but at least I'm not so-and-so. Like, did you see what they did? You know, it didn't. And here's the other part. This is the crazy part for me. It didn't feel like shame. And it didn't feel like scolding, nothing like that. It just felt like the Holy Spirit in his kindness took me back a few steps and said, see, you are one bad decision away. It felt loving, like mercy. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi says, Can true humility and compassion exist in our words and eyes unless we too know we are capable of any act? That's what it was. This moment of radical honesty inside. Um, I think this step goes a little bit further, though. Not just radical honesty inside, um, but I think part of humility learns how to be radically honest outside. Uh, humility is um, it's a commitment to stop pretending to be something we aren't and to start honestly living as we are in our weaknesses and our limits and our questions and confusions and hopes and our own difficulties. And that's really risky, especially in our culture, right? In our culture, it is very, do you, in our culture, one of the riskiest things you can say is I need help. Like, that's crazy, right? But it's true. Uh, It's a very risky thing to say, I need help, or uh, I'm not sure. We just fake answers. I do. Um, Or to say, I'm in debt, or my marriage is in trouble, or my kid is in trouble, or I failed this test, or I'm really lonely, or my parents aren't doing well. I mean, it's it's a risky thing. Uh, It's a risky thing to say, I'm drowning, and I'm not sure how to get out of it. And I think this is the kind of radical honesty that St. Benedict is, is urging us toward. Uh, not just an internal honesty, but an external one, too. Okay. Number six, 
uh, is deeply aware of being chief of all sinners. Um, <laughs> we kind of covered this one in, in number five. Uh, but I think humility means being able to, I'm going to quote Pete Scazzaro, our uh, author, our sage in this series. He says, we, uh, humility is being able to see ourselves as potentially weaker and more sinful than anyone around us. The chief of all sinners, it's not self-hate or an invitation to abuse, but it's meant to make us kind and gentle. Uh, this phrase comes from Paul in a letter to Timothy where Paul defines himself as a mentor to his mentee as the chief of all sinners. And rather than uh, that being a mark of shame on Paul's life or self-deprivation for Paul, it's a mark of humility. It's radical honesty uh, because Paul describes himself as chief of all sinners. And at the same time, he never uses that to hold him back in any way, ever. He does not allow chief of all sinners to hold him back from his purpose or his identity in the kingdom of God. Chief of all sinners does not exclude him or preclude him from anything that God has for him. It is an honest realization of who he is and at the same time an honest realization of who God has asked him to be. This is not like, oh, I'm the worst. This is, I still got invited. I'm this and I still got invited. Um, it's just a way to level the playing field. Okay, number seven, we're going quicker. I hear your booties moving. You're anxious. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, number seven, uh, purposeful to speak less with more restraint. Actually, let's just skip this one <laughs> for time's sake, right? Nobody wants to talk about that. this one. Um, if, if you remember the, the ladder, this is toward the top of the ladder. I think it's because it's really hard for some of us. Um, St. Benedict says, the wise are known for their few words. Unfortunately, the Bible also agrees. James tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, Proverbs 8.21, my least favorite proverb, says, the tongue can bring death or life. <laughs> Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Uh, Chad and I had lunch the other day. And uh, he uh, was talking about something. Blessed rhythms, if you know Chad, then you've talked to him about blessed rhythms or you've heard him preach on it. And the L in blessed rhythms is listen. And so he was just talking through him. And he just said something that was sort of mind-blowing, simple and mind-blowing. He just was telling someone else, he said, uh, when I'm willing to listen to people, I can learn what's important to them. And I was like, dang it. I think that's true. Right? When we listen, we're able to hear what people truly want, need, feel, and fear. Not just what we think they want, need, feel, and fear. I'm very good at deciding those things for you. But listening allows me to actually let you answer for yourself. Okay, number eight. We're rounding home. Transformed into the love of God. I love this. It's not just transformed by the love of God. It's transformed into the love of God. This one, uh, this is the one step on this ladder of humility that I think feels like a giant deep breath. Uh, this is a step all about us participating in the imagination of God. Uh, this is about a life that sets aside ego and sets aside false self, a life lived without uh, contempt or condescension, a life uh, embracing limits in ourselves and in other people aware uh, of our own fragility and at the same time our own purpose and identity. It is a life of contentment, a life of shalom in the mercy of God. So I think what St. Benedict is telling us is uh, as we continue to grow in humility, this is where it leads to freedom, 
to freedom in the transforming love of God. Brenna Manning says this, the heart of humility lies in undivided attention to God, a fascination with his beauty revealed in creation, a contemplative presence to each person who speaks to us, and a de-selfing of our plans, projects, ambitions, and soul. The deeper that we grow into a love of Jesus, the more full we become. The more we realize the gift of everything and everyone. And we can live a life rejoicing uh, that we have been called out of the darkness and into a wondrous light and invited to live in and create within the kingdom of God and his work all over the world. So long ladder. We're going to put the ladder on Instagram or our social media tomorrow if you want a picture of it. Um, This isn't something you can do in a day. This is something you spend your lifetime revisiting and looking at your own self and stuff. But thank you for your patience. Let's, we're going to take a minute. We do this every week. Uh, We call it Selah. And um, it's just a quiet breath and a quiet pause because when somebody talks at you for way longer than they meant to, um, sometimes you just need a minute to take it in and to Feel what maybe the Holy Spirit's doing in you. So let's just be quiet. I want to pray and bless it, and then we'll come to the table together. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you. And I pray in these moments that you would take a fire hose full of information and that you would let something land, that you would let something stick. I um, pray that in your spirit, uh, like we pray at the beginning, would you give us the courage to have a radical inward honesty as we sit with you and what you might want to encourage in us or expose in us. In your name we pray. Amen.